You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Last week, we saw the big competition on the top of Mount Carmel. Maybe you weren't here last week. Maybe you were here and forgot what we looked at last week. But there was this this, this great standoff at the top of Carmel. And God's fire falls on Elijah's altar. It was a display of victory for the people of God to see. So it was Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal, but Elijah had the God of heaven and earth, Yahweh, on his side. So now after three years of drought, Elijah had told King Ahab, it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain until we turn back to the Lord. It's not going to rain until we begin to obey the commands of God. There's drought for three years. The economy is, is in tatters. Uh, King Ahab is sending out uh, his, his, his vice president, basically, his, his uh, chief of staff to go find water. Uh, Ahab goes and tries to find water himself, not for his people, but for his horses and, and, and for his mules. So let's pick up now that the rain is going to begin coming down from the sky. So if you don't mind, First Kings Chapter 18, a big storm is going to come. The drought is going to end. First Kings chapter 18, verse 45. Very end of this chapter, once you find your place there in First Kings, this is where we'll be for the remainder of the morning. So go ahead and keep your Bible or a copy of God's Word that you have with you. Maybe you're sharing with somebody. First Kings chapter 18, let's look at verse 45 together. You'll also see it on the screen behind me. And, and in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, And there was a great rain. And Ahab, the king, he rode and went to Jezreel. That was a city within the Jezreel Valley where his palace was, kind of his his headquarters. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment. Stop. If you have the King James Version, the version that Jesus used growing up, you would see that the phrase actually is he girded his loins. Always a great little church phrase, girded his, his loins. What that means is Elijah reached down between his ankles and grabbed the back of his robe and pulled it straight up and tucked it into his, into his belt. So it looks like he's wearing a big diaper, basically, at this point, a big baggy diaper. But now he has the freedom. He's not constricted by the robe. He now has the freedom to go and run. So if you have the King James Version, I think even the New King James Version uses that old phrase, girded up his loins. In ESV, we see a little bit more uh, uh, modern translation, modern phrase, and he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab. Remember, Ahab is, is in a chariot. He, he's, he's, on, he's being taken by by horse at the speed of a horse. But Elijah runs before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. By the way, that's 20 miles from the Mount of Carmel down to the city of of Jezreel. 20 miles, amazing what the combination of God's spirit, adrenaline, and a wind can do because he just takes off and he beats that horse back to the gates or back to the city of Jezreel. Let me just stop for a second. Let me remind you of a verse that we looked at at the very beginning of this Good Trouble series that we're in on, the, on the, the man of Elijah, the character of Elijah. Because in the New Testament, James writes about Elijah. In fact, he says, you see this on the screen behind me, James chapter 5, verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us. Really? Anyone else been fed by birds here? Anyone else go two years 
on the same bag of flour and the same jug of oil? Anybody here raise a dead boy recently? Are anybody able to outsprint a horse in this room for 20 miles? Anyone ever been in a contest before on a mountaintop with some pagan god and God calls down fire in front of you? Elijah was a man just like us? Question mark. We start to wonder the accuracy of James' assessment of Elijah being just like us until we get to 1 Kings chapter 19. Then we're going to see a lot of humanity, a lot of us in Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. So Ahab, the king, he's wicked, tells Jezebel, his wife, the queen, she too is wicked, all that Elijah had done. What had Elijah done? He had not only won the contest on top of Mount Carmel, he had also killed 450 prophets of Baal. And so Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Verse two, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life, Elijah, as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Basically, it's a vow that she is making saying that if I don't do to Elijah what Elijah did to the prophets of Baal, may the gods do to me just as Elijah did to the prophets of Baal. And that vow, that vow from that messenger sent Elijah into this tailspin. Look at verse three. Then he was afraid. <laughs> he had just seen fire come from heaven. He had just slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. That, that's 90 miles. Like he is truly running for his life. He's terrified. And so he, he takes off and he goes to the very southern portion of, of the promised land, the very southern portion of, of Judah. In fact, there's 12 times in the Bible when, you, when you're told the scope of Israel, the scope of the promised land, it will use the phrase from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the most northern point of Israel. Beersheba would be the most southern point. So he runs as far as he can. He leaves. He's running for his life, just moving as fast as he can, as far as he can, away from this wicked queen Jezebel who has made this vow to kill him. 19 verse 4. But he himself, he went another day's journey. The reason it says he himself is he had left the servant behind, but he himself went a day's journey, so one more day, into the wilderness and came and he sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying it is enough now in other words I've had it I have reached the maximum oh Lord take away my life for I am no better no better than, than my than my father's in other words I'm my, my, my parents, perhaps, my forefathers, perhaps, were, were faithless, and I'm, I'm no better than, than they are. Is it possible for God's power to come on someone and to live in absolute victory and to be so close to God and then four verses and 48 hours later feel like dying in their depression? Certainly. This is the integrity of the Bible, telling the full story, the, the, the true story, the transparent story. 
how easy it would have been for someone to have just written here, and Elijah ruled Israel and was awesome all the days of his life. But instead, we see that the realism to the scripture here of, of, of a man who was once so close to God, like 48 hours before, just felt the victory of God, and now he was spiraling down into such a depression that he wants his life to be over. This is the integrity of the Bible. This is the realism of the scripture. And listen, this is us. We find ourselves mimicking the pattern of Elijah, near to God one day, in anxiety and depression, maybe even the thought of our lives being over and we'd be, we'd be better if we weren't here and we've, we've, we've reached the peak, we've reached the maximum, we can't take anything else. Note takers, closeness to God yesterday does not translate to closeness to God today. Like we can't, we can't live off of yesterday's experience. We can't just relive the victories of yesterday. We can't just keep celebrating yesterday's victories. I'm a diehard Dallas Cowboy fan. I should know this firsthand. We can't just keep celebrating what, what happened a generation ago. Closeness to God yesterday does not translate to closeness to God today. There's several places in the Bible where a promise is given that something will come in the new day. Several places in the Bible it says that something new is going to come, a gift or a blessing will come in the new morning. I'll just give you an example. You see these on the screen behind me. Psalm 143 verse 8 says, His word comes to us in the new day. His word comes to us in the new morning. Psalm 30 verse 5 says that joy comes to us in a new day. Joy comes to us in a new morning. Lamentations 3.23, His mercies come to us in a new day. His mercies come to us in a new morning. Isaiah 50 verse 4, his voice comes to us in a new day. His voice comes to us in a new morning. Isaiah 33 verse 2, his rescue comes to us in a new day. His rescue comes to us in the new morning. See, if we're always resting on yesterday, we miss out on all these blessings of today. His word, his joy, his mercies, his voice, his rescue. You see, if you miss the new day, it's because you're always living in the yesterday. And we forget about the joys of the new morning. So I guess my encouragement to all of us is don't eat the stale bread of yesterday. Don't run off of old experiences. Draw close to God every day, every morning. So there's this brand new blessing for, for the new day. Elijah is reminding us right here by his life, don't bank on the carryover. Remember the goodness of God today. You can write this down as well. Remember the goodness of God, excuse me, yesterday, but don't, don't stay there so that you can rest in his goodness today. Elijah had forgotten about the goodness because he was living on yesterday. He forgot about the, the present God who had a word for him, his voice ready for him that day because Elijah kept going back to yesterday. Yes, remember the goodness of God yesterday, but don't live there. Don't stay there. First Kings chapter 19, verse five. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And, and he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake. No doubt an angel food cake. Dad jokes, sorry about that. I, I am one. And it was baked on, on hot stones and a, 
and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, Mount Oreb, which is the same as Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. A couple of things about this. I love that, that God sent a messenger to Elijah at his worst moment. And just reminded him, I'm going to take care of you. I love this. God did not give him five steps on how to get out of it. Nor did he chastise him for being so depressed and so exhausted and and such low self-worth. He just comes to him through a messenger with provision. Also, it's amazing the gift of a nap and a snack sometimes also. That's all I just took, took a nap, ate a little food, felt like he was good to go. There he came to a cave. By by the way, he has moved now um, 200 miles from Beersheba to Mount Oreb or Mount Sinai, same same place. So there he came to a cave and he he lodged in it. And behold, I love this, the word of the Lord came to him and he, God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. This is Elijah saying, and this is a good thing. God, I'm jealous for you. I want to know you. I want to press into you. I'm jealous for my time with you. I'm jealous that all my heart would belong to you. I've been very jealous for the Lord, for you are the God of hosts. For the people of Israel, what have they done? They have forsaken your covenant, God. They have thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, if I only, third time he's used this phrase, kind of that statement of loneliness, I, if even I only am left, and they now seek my life. Jezebel, she now seeks my life to take it away. And he said, God said, I love this phrase also, go out and stand before the mountain of the Lord. God's response to a life that's overwhelmed, yours might be, fearful, yours might be, a life that was chaotic, yours might be, a a man that's confused, you may be, one who has felt like that his self-esteem has just been shot, you may feel that way. God's response to him, don't miss this, come stand before me. I'll repeat myself again. It was not a, a chastisement of all the things that Elijah had done wrong. There's not a long list of rules that Elijah needed to start following. It was simply this beautiful picture of God inviting his person to stand before him. There easily could be some people in this house today that you need to understand the heart of God is for you to draw near to him. Not to get your act together or start behaving better before you do. God says to Elijah, come and stand before me. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now he had been in the wind before. 
Back in the book of Exodus, when, when God was pushing back the Red Sea for the Israelite children to walk on, on dry ground, it was the wind of God that pushed back the Red Sea, but God was not in the wind at this point. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. Now, God had revealed himself in an earthquake before. In fact, on this very mountain back in Exodus chapter 19, when God comes down, the whole earth begins to shake, but God was not in the earthquake this time. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, God had revealed himself as fire before in this very place again at Mount Sinai when he came down to meet Moses there was fire and there was smoke but at this time God was not in the fire and after the fire the sound of a low whisper and when Elijah heard it he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and behold there came a voice to him and said what are you doing here, Elijah? The exact same question that was asked back in verse nine, but this time it's in a quiet whisper. Nothing calms a wildly fearful heart like a tenderly quiet voice. You may be here today and your life is filled with fears or what ifs or worries or anxiety or depression or chaos or confusion or low self-esteem. Nothing, nothing calms our spirit and our soul like a tenderly quiet voice. Don't believe me? Find a good mama that has a little baby that's losing his or her mind. Notice I said a good mama. Because a good mama will just whisper back to that child. It's okay. I love you. God has that, that same heart, the heart of a parent, the heart of a dad, the heart of a father, to come and to quiet us. Steal our souls when we're overwhelmed with life or overwhelmed with ourselves or overwhelmed with others, or overwhelmed with the schedule. God comes to us in, in this tenderness. And, and when he asked that question, what are you doing here, Elijah? It, it was not an indictment. It was a drawing. Come and tell me why you're here, son. Draw near to me. We're gonna do something different this morning that we normally don't do at Highland. But I recognize the, the, the time of year that we're in. Students, it's, it's crunch time, it's go time, it's, it's stress time in classes right now. Maybe it's stress time when you saw your grades recently, you feel even more stressed. And middle school students, high school students, you, you're kind of feeling that same. It's just that time of semester. And, and teachers, professors, we know that you feel it also this, this semester. So something else that I think we sense in our, in our city, in our nation, is, is the elections and, and just the, the raging voices right now. So I would submit to you that we would end our gathering in this way, that you would allow me to speak God's word over you and to let God's word 
give you peace and may his word strengthen you. And we're going to do it in this way. Would you mind just bowing your head and even more than that, bowing your heart before the king? And if you're comfortable in doing so, would you just kind of stretch out your hands or open your hands as if receiving a gift of peace, as if receiving a, a gift of comfort, a blessing of God's still voice? And in that posture, would you receive the word of the Lord as I joyfully speak it over our hearts, our heads bowed, our hearts bowed, our hands open? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. The flames will not burn you, for I am the Lord your God. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those of us who seek you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And with your head bowed and your heart bowed before the king, and if comfortable, your hands still open to receive that gift of comfort. Would you allow this song to be sung over you, over your soul, over your heart, over your situation, over your circumstances, over your fear, over your uncertainty? Would you allow these words to speak to your soul? 
will remind you of God's presence, God's love, his nearness, his grace, his faithfulness. Would you receive this song being sung over you?